the height of the pandemic, anti-Semitic incidents against our Jewish neighbors were down slightly across the country. In 2020, the Anti-Defamation League reported more than 2,000 incidents throughout the country, a 4% decrease from 2019. But even those numbers registered as the third highest year on the ADL's record. Nationwide, over the last two years, more than 8,000 incidents of anti-Semitism were reported across the U.S. Here in New England, Boston saw 68. Hartford, Connecticut recorded 11 incidents, including one extremist murder. Anti-Semitism is more than just isolated incidents of graffiti, name-calling, or dramatic hostage situations in synagogues. It's a hate crime in various forms being committed right in our neighborhoods. Welcome to And Another Thing. I'm Dara Kennedy. I'm Maya Schwader. For those who are not part of the Jewish community, it might not be obvious at first that there is a ubiquitous layer of security that surrounds many Jewish institutions. Metal detectors, wands, and armed security guards are par for the course when entering everything from a synagogue to an office building. If it seems paranoid, it's because the threat of ending up in a situation like Coleyville, Texas, is unfortunately very real. For more on how the Texas incident hit home, we spoke with two rabbis in our community. Joining us now, we have Rabbi Amy Walk of Temple Bethel in Springfield. And we welcome back Rabbi James Green, who is, among other things, the executive director of the Overnight Jewish Summer Camp, Camp Laurelwood in Connecticut. Thank you both for being here with us. I would like to start with asking very simply, as you were watching the situation in Texas unfold, what was your reaction? Rabbi Walk, what did you think? I was horrified. Yeah, I was horrified. I felt for my colleague and I actually was scared myself because it could have easily been Springfield, Massachusetts. My synagogue is like that synagogue and it's, you know, a, a little place. And unfortunately, it reminded me how vulnerable and, and fragile we all are these days. What I was thinking, Maya, was that it's not that it just could be everywhere. It's that it actually is everywhere. Jews make up 2% of the American population, but incur nearly 60% of religiously motivated hate crimes. When you look at the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League's audit of anti-Semitic incidents in the United States, they talk about 2,100 acts of violence, vandalism, harassment. Just to put that in context, when Rabbi Walk says it could have been Springfield, Massachusetts, in Connecticut, in 2021, there were 12 incidents logged by the Anti-Defamation League in the state of Connecticut. There were 29 incidents that were logged in the state of Massachusetts. Those range from graffiti to slurs to bomb threats at JCCs and physical assaults. It's not just that it could have been anywhere. It's that it, it's that it actually is everywhere. It sounds like you're saying that you're kind of living in a very fragile piece right now, that you know, it just it just sort of would take one small thing to bring the violence to your doorstep. I think that the, the Jewish community is resilient, like the American community. I don't know that fragile is the word that I would use, but I, I think about the vulnerability that exists. That's what Jewish communities are feeling around the country, the sense of vulnerability that Rabbi Walk talked about, what it was like to be in shul, in synagogue, and hearing about what was happening to our colleague in Colleyville. What is particularly hard for me. Look, I was ordained in 1992, and when I began my rabbinate, I wasn't afraid to walk into my synagogue in Lansing, Michigan. I wasn't afraid to be the one to open the building. In fact, I remember teaching and saying that anti-Semitism in America was not an experience I had ever had. Those lesson plans need to be shredded. 
The world has changed yeah. dramatically, and it's painful to feel the shift, literally. Last year was the highest level of anti-Semitic incidents since the Anti-Defamation League began tracking that in 1979. Rabbi Walks is accurate that the ground underneath the American community has shifted. We saw that very clearly over the last number of years. Even NPR had a story uh, in October of this past year that talked about one quarter of American Jews experiencing anti-Semitism in the last year. That number is just staggering and is drastically different than it was 15, 20 years ago. Going off of what you were saying, Rabbi Walk, about not having experienced anti-Semitism when you started your rabbinate, when did that start to change? Pittsburgh was the moment where I was hit over the head and I said, oh my God, it's changed. But even from Pittsburgh until now, it's changed. You know, when I was watching the news and I was glued to the television, watching and worrying about my colleague in his community, the reporter was pretty cavalier about the language she used to talk about what was going on. She called it an incident as opposed to an attack. And I felt like, and there were these conversations of people saying, well, it wasn't really anti-Semitism. Wow. And so I can't say when it changed, but for sure by Pittsburgh, it changed. Referring, of course, to the the 2018 Tree of Life shooting at Pittsburgh, a lot has been made out of the security training that Rabbi Crichton Walker in Texas had to go through. Have either of you gone through similar trainings? I certainly have, and it's sadly something that we we do here at camp. We train our staff, both our year-round staff and also our summer staff, which are college students. We have really frank, really serious conversations with these young people who are here to serve the community. And we ask them to engage in these discussions because we recognize when that moment arises, it's a really hard experience, but it's also critical that they have the best possible training. And I know Jewish communities around the country have invested significant resources in both security infrastructure, but also those kinds of trainings that are so valuable in moments of crisis. Mm. Having security around a building that has walls and doors and you can put security people in certain places. That's one thing. But how does one make sure that a camp, which I presume has open spaces, is similarly secure? We have 140 acres of open space here at Camp Laurelwood. It's not a small challenge. It's something that we give a lot of thought to. And sadly, something that that we're going to be having more and more conversations about in the wake of this, this latest attack on the Jewish community. But when I have those conversations, I think not just about the infrastructure, but I also think about um, my daughters who are campers here. I think about the other 300 children who are here and are part of our Laurelwood community. And I think about what our obligation is to serve them and to keep them safe. I think about, you know, about the prayer that we say in the evenings, the Hashkivani prayer, which asks us to put a sheltering um, sukkah, shelter of peace over us and over them. It's the most important thing that we can do is to keep the campers that are part of our community, the staff that are part of our community safe while they're here. And, you know, Maya, this is, I'm, I'm thinking I worked at a camp many years ago from between 1985 and 1990, another camp in New England. And I'm remembering these conversations we had with the camp director at the time. And here's how the world has really changed. We talked about keeping the children safe. And we were really thinking physically safe because of illness, because of accidents, like I don't remember then at all thinking about harm done to the campers or the campsite because of anti-Semitism. And the, the conversation would be different today. 
that conversation is not unique to camp anymore. My kids are fortunate enough to belong to Temple Bethel in Springfield, and Rabbi Walk is our is our rabbi. I know that those are conversations that are happening in the synagogue as well. And absolutely, it, as a parent of two kids who are there in in religious school, it's a conversation I don't think my parents had about our synagogues when we were when we were children. Grateful that our our communities together have really stepped up to keep that conversation at the at the front of our minds. Mm-hmm. The thing that's scariest for me is that that conversation isn't an outlier anymore, that white nationalism, that anti-Semitism in our country is not just normalized, but in parts of the community is held up and celebrated in a way that I think is really dangerous and really scary. I want to come back to something Rabbi Walk said earlier. We were talking about the tragic shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and you said that you heard the journalist who was talking about it, describing it as an incident. How have you seen the media change, improve, not improve when it comes to talking about these unfortunate events when they happen? Sometimes I hear the media use the word tragic. And the truth is, I mean, I think like an earthquake is tragic. This is an attack. And I don't necessarily know that so, that, that people are using that kind of um, language. This reporter, four people are being held hostage. And she says, well, you know how these things go. Two plus two is four. I mean, in this cavalier way, as if this were not a profoundly serious event. You know how these things go. It was actually stunning to me as I listened to the news. For both of you, how much does thinking about security kind of take up space in your brain that you would otherwise be using for, you know, say, education? A lot. Yeah. After Pittsburgh, Every single time I walked into the building, I thought about where would I leave. And, and when I was planning where events should be, I would think about, and like, are the people who are going to be attending this event going to be more vulnerable than I would want them to be? And where's the exit? And I would actually think about in our social hall, if we were in this place, there's an exit to the outside. But if we were in that place, you'd have to run further. Like, and when you stop and think about that, like that's, that's a big deal. At camp, we have to have more conversation and it places a level of intensity, a level of stress and a, a level of awareness of just the constant nature of that worry that is, a, is just a heavy, it's a heavy thing to carry. It reminds me of the resiliency of our community, that even in the face of this incredible rise of anti-Semitism, our communities show up. How do we get back to a time when synagogues could keep their doors open? And do you think we will ever get back to that point? My goal isn't opening the doors right now. My goal is the security and the calm and goodness for my congregants in the little world. And then this bigger piece of what can we do to change the tone in this country to remind people the when it says you should love your neighbor like yourself. Wow. And anything to add, Rabbi Green? In Jewish tradition, one of my favorite teachings comes from Pirkei Avot, comes from, from the ethics of our of our ancestors. And it says... Just because we aren't going to finish the task doesn't mean that we're free to desist from it. I don't know how we get there, but I I really believe that our obligation as a community is to work to keep our community safe and to think about how we do that in a way that that allows us to welcome people in the most profound, beautiful, loving ways that we possibly can. And I, I believe we're going to get there. I do too. Rabbi James Green is the executive director of Camp Laurelwood in Connecticut, and Rabbi Amy Walk is the rabbi of Temple Bethel in Springfield. Thank you both so much for this very enlightening conversation, and please be safe. Thank you so much, Maya. Thank you. 
As just mentioned by our rabbi guest, anti-Semitic incidents are not new, but they are happening closer to home in our communities more often. After the break, the executive director of the Anti-Defamation League tells us why and how these acts of hate have become normalized. You're listening to And Another Thing. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show with Derek Kennedy. I'm Maya Schwader. In the aftermath of the hostage situation at a Texas synagogue on Friday, we are looking at the ways anti-Semitism has also reared its head around our region. We spoke with Robert Treston, the executive director of the Anti-Defamation League of New England. He told us that, for anyone who's been paying attention, the events in Texas are not shocking. We shouldn't be surprised by what happened in Texas because it comes in the aftermath of multiple incidents not just in other parts of the country, but here in New England. It was only 18 months ago that somebody planted uh, an improvised explosive device, a homemade bomb, in front of a Jewish senior's home in Longmeadow, Massachusetts. And it was seven months ago that a white supremacist killed two African-Americans a block away from the synagogue in Winthrop, outside of Boston. And there's a a real fear that uh, the synagogue might have been his ultimate destination had the police not uh, stopped him. And it was only last summer that a rabbi was stabbed in Brighton, Massachusetts. We've had multiple school-based incidents in the last year, some involving uh, graffiti, some involving uh, harassment. In the last year, we've had two major incidents involving schools, both in Danvers and Duxbury, one with a football team and one with a hockey team. And in both cases, anti-Semitism was part of what was happening behind the scenes. And it wasn't a one-time incident. It was institutionalized in those sports programs. What are the trends looking like across New England right now? The scariest trend is that anti-Semitism is becoming normalized. Texas is in some ways a byproduct of anti-Semitism becoming mainstream. And by that, I mean it incites and it inspires people to take matters into their own hands. And it plays on uh, conspiratorial theories about Jews and the Jewish community, and people are acting out. And the more it makes its way into the mainstream, whether it's in the media or it's in schools or workplaces or in the community, the more it becomes accepted. And that gives the green light, the permission, the inspiration for people to take matters into their own hands what happened in Texas. Seems like it was a fairly disturbed individual, but it could also be, you know, like many other incidents, it could possibly be the inspiration for future actions. Is that something that you're concerned about? This man, it was no accident that he chose a Jewish house of worship from which to take hostages and make demands that a convicted terrorist be freed. So there are direct connections to anti-Semitism here and to hatred of Jews. Afia Siddiqui used her American trial as a platform to spew anti-Semitism. I mean, she demanded of the court that there be no Jews on her jury. And when she was convicted, she blamed the guilty verdict on Israel. Given the trend lines that you're seeing, do you think that there's enough being done to combat or educate against anti-Semitism? There needs to be more pushback against anti-Semitism. I think we need a greater recognition of the danger that it poses. It's around education at all levels, raising awareness, 
It is around security and security awareness. And it's, you know, having allies also recognize the danger that it poses. If someone were to say to you, well, you know, there's also rising incidents of anti-Asian hate. There's been, you know, a lot of attacks against the African-American community and racial tensions are just generally really high right now. What would you say to them? I would agree with them. The data shows us that marginalized communities, whether it's Jews, people of color, the AAPI community, the Latino community, are all experiencing increases in being targeted in one way or another. Some of it culminates in an incident like what happened in Texas or in Winthrop or in Brighton. But most people experience hate and bias in their everyday life, whether it's seeing graffiti in a public place or in a school cafeteria or a hallway or at work. And we know that hate crimes are amongst the most underreported of any crime. So the problem is probably far worse than any government statistic or one uh, big incident tells us. So do I hear you saying there should be more individual responsibility taken for people standing up, acting out, reporting these sorts of incidents if they see it? We, We definitely need better reporting mechanisms, and we need prompt attention when someone does report something. You know, one of the lessons we see from Texas is that There was actually a lot of relationship building that had occurred over a period of years. There was training, and all of that came into play, both in terms of how the rabbi and the people were held hostage were able to survive 11 hours and escape, and also the flood of community support. You know, that doesn't happen magically. It happened because many people in many organizations were engaged in the work. That's something that we should be replicating all over the country. It is very much a work in progress, but there are a lot of dedicated people and organizations that are working very, very hard. Robert Treston, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. My pleasure. On December 30th, when most people were preparing for a fresh start at the turn of a new year, a Northampton Board of Health public meeting took a turn for the worst. Bad actors joined the call specifically to engage in hate speech. The following week, her first on the job, Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shera addressed the anti-Semitic incidents in a statement. And today, she indicated to end another thing that perhaps this particular outburst towards Jews was likely just the result of convening remotely. When we create and welcome that free speech space, we recognize that it is protected by the First Amendment. But that does not mean that we welcome and accept without challenge or rebuke speech that is derogatory and meant to target and threaten someone or a group's identity. You know, as we saw in Texas, these dangerous stereotypes and biases continue. So it's important to call them out when we see them and just make sure that people know that that is not welcome here in Northampton. Since we're all meeting remotely, it opens up our meetings to all sorts of, you know, groups or potential from outside, um, which is where I believe these comments came from. What was the community response after this particular Board of Health meeting incident? Did you hear from anyone about either outrage or in support of what was said? 
Oh, I've only heard outrage. And the community was very grateful that, you know, the mayor's office came out with the statement. And I know it's on the city council agenda for tomorrow night. No one has had the guts to tell me that they agreed with the anti-Semitic remarks, but I've certainly gotten a lot of support from the community for standing up to it. Were you at all surprised? You know, Hampton is a city with a reputation for being very progressive and welcoming. Was this something that shocked you at all? I hope that I never fail to be shocked by these kind of remarks and this kind of hate. Um, But, you know, we have certainly... During this pandemic, we've seen a rise in hate speech uh, targeting certain groups. And we have, from the previous presidential administration, there was sort of a, um, a, like a prodding of that kind of communication. And so, you know, I think we all know that there's been more hate speech in the last few years. It's still always shocking, but Northampton is a welcoming community. And I want to make it clear that I don't know who made those comments, but I would hope that they were not people from within the Northampton community. I have not experienced that from people who live here in Northampton. And I want people to know that we are welcoming and that is not something that we tolerate here. Are you aware of any currents of anti-Semitism running through Northampton prior to this? You know, I think the Board of Health has has experienced some other incidences or there had been flyers before I became mayor that had been downtown that were potentially anti-Semitic. So it's not the first instance, unfortunately. But again, I am hopeful that this is not from within Northampton. Last question. Given what happened in Texas on Friday... Have you heard anything from the Jewish community in Northampton that would concern you in terms of something like that being repeated where you are? I have not. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that everyone feels more on high alert. And I'm sorry if people are more fearful based on what happened in Texas. That's heartbreaking. Um, but no, I, I would hope not. Mayor Gina Luis-Shera, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this edition of And Another Thing. Find past episodes of our show on our page at NEPN.org. I'm Dara Kennedy. I'm Maya Schwader. You can also follow us on social media. We are at AAT on NEPM. Have a great evening and stay safe.